Let us pray. Lord, as we gather on this holiest night of the year, we give thanks for those who are seated next to us. We give thanks for those who are in our homes. We remember those for whom this is the first Christmas with which we live with their memory. And we ask that you will be with us as we hear these sacred stories, sing this sacred music, and are given reason to celebrate joy. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Five days ago in the New York Times, literary scholar Stephen Greenblatt published an op-ed piece called Why Holiday Stories Matter. He cited a recent study of the Ita, a contemporary tribe of hunter-gatherers in the Philippines. This study explored the question of how humans learn cooperative behavior, such as food sharing, the care for others, and the acceptance of social norms. The study found that individuals among the Aita who live in camps where there is a greater proportion of storytellers learn to cooperate more readily with one another and are therefore more successful in the sharing of food. Greenblatt goes on to say that the stories we tell during the holiday seasons, particularly Christmas, matter because they lead us to greater human cooperation, to deeper unity, and to stronger understanding of one another. He writes, this season, even in a bitterly contentious time, the storyteller has once again done the key work of fashioning cooperation among us. The Ita are clearly right. As we have moved through this season, we have likely heard or shared once again the stories we first encountered as children. Ebenezer Scrooge, the Nutcracker Prince, Santa Claus. If you are like me, you have watched in recent weeks, once again, Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life. On a more serious note, if you believe yourself to be an agnostic. If you are here searching for faith, or if if you are here deeply committed to your faith, my hunch is that part of what draws you here tonight is the stories you know you will hear. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Be not afraid. Behold, I tell you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. But the translation we know or hear today may differ from this older translation that I have just read. The story itself is embedded in our hearts and minds, and it is part of what draws us here. Now in the stories we draw from our culture, what often attracts us is the quest for human unity, such as found in the Ita tribe. We smile warmly when Macy's and Gimbel set aside their commercial competition for the sake of their customers at Christmas. Our hearts are warmed when George Bailey is rescued from despair by an angel named Clarence who is trying to earn his wings and who takes George on a tour of what his beloved Bedford Hills would, Bedford Falls would look like had George not been born and lived there all his years. When George sees that his hometown would be torn apart by class conflict, economic division, social ills and addictions, when he sees that his brother would not be living to become a war hero and the pharmacist for whom he had worked as a teenager would be in jail for the misfiled prescription that George discovered before delivering it to a child in town. When George sees all this, he realizes that his has been and is a wonderful life. Likewise, through the stories that Christian churches across the world recite and sing and tell this night, though they are about a particular birth of a particular person in the midst of a particular people at a particular time and place in history, namely Jesus Christ born as a free Jewish male in first century Palestine, the significance of his birth transcends the time and place and gender and race and legal standing and national heritage in which he was born. The peace Christ brings transcends these all. Yet though Christ was born to bring peace, his birth results in immediate opposition and conflict. The Jewish governor Herod, appointed by the dominant Roman authorities to keep his fellow Jews quiet enough to not make trouble for Rome, sees threat when wise men from the east come asking about the birth of the king of the Jews. Like Pharaoh before him, Herod orders the killing of all children two years old and under, a fate from which Jesus' parents save him by fleeing to Egypt, much as Moses was saved by his flight to Egypt as well, and Israel earlier was saved by Joseph's sojourn there. While Christ was born to bring peace, he grew up to say, do not think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
While Christ was born to bring peace, he was put to death by pragmatic political cooperation between religious and political authorities, each of whom felt their interests would be better served were he out of the picture. Despite this conflict and opposition surrounding Christ's public ministry, he still sowed seeds of unity and reconciliation which his birth inaugurated and which his return will bring to full fruition. He taught people to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile, to give up cloak as well as coat when asked. He allowed himself to stand corrected by a Syrophoenician woman who upbraided him for not allowing people from her nation and background to eat even the crumbs that fell from the table he prepared for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the initial objects of his mission. He drew to himself tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and Roman soldiers, Samaritans, Jews and Gentiles. From the cross he forgave a thief and promised him paradise. And concerning those responsible for his own execution, he prayed in the final moments of his life, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All this Christ did and taught in the name of the community and reconciliation we seek. Now to be sure, the peace on earth that Christ brought was an inauguration, not a coronation. It was a beginning, not a final consummation. Sometimes in our frustration with the absence of peace in our lives and in our world, in our families and in our politics, we dismiss Christ out of anger, out of disappointment, out of a sense that He doesn't have much power to make things better and therefore is not really relevant. And in some ways he doesn't have that power, or at least he chooses not to exercise it. Perhaps because he leaves it up to us to be the bearers and bringers of peace in his name. He promises to return but doesn't tell us the time or place and in over 2,000 years, he has not yet exercised that option. But in the meantime, in the meantime, he has given us plenty of examples and ample promise of his presence for us to seek and work toward the unity to which he points and which he exemplifies. Suffer the little children to come unto me, he says. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house tonight. And those who live by the sword will die by the sword. There are countless instances in the life of this first century free Jewish male born in Palestine that form the stories that can shape us today if we will but let them in 21st century Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax County, Washington, D.C., Virginia, the United States, and the world. It matters not that he was born 2,000 years ago. It matters not that we know not when he will return. What matters is who he is, what he did, what he calls us to be and do. It is a call that we have the power 
to answer. In 1995, a woman in the church I was serving at the time was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. A few years after the comedian Gilda Radner died of the same illness at about the same age. She had immediate surgery, but a few minutes into the surgery, the surgeons determined that there was very little they could do. Veteran surgical nurses who knew her socially were reported to have broken down in tears. She was one of several people in the congregation who were facing tragedy at that time. One Sunday morning, something was said in worship that led her to go home and to call her brother who lived in another part of the state. It seems that she and her brother had been estranged for many years and that he had been estranged from their mother as well. After he had left a first wife his mother and sister admired, for a second wife they didn't. If I don't have long to live, she said on the phone call, I don't want to die estranged from you. They met at a coffee shop halfway between their two towns. They talked for several hours. They called their mother and drove away to see her that very afternoon. A few years later, as their mother lay dying, the two were there with her, brother and sister, family, reunited, reconciled at her bedside. The woman and her brother are still alive today, alive and reconciled. I need not tell you that peace on earth is not fully present to us. It will not come in its fullness until that day when Christ brings a new heaven and a new earth and wipes away all tears from our eyes and wipes away all that which gives rise to our tears. But in the meantime, Christ's peace is at hand, though not in hand. It is near enough to us to make our seeking of peace an appropriate response to his birth and presence. Peace on earth is something for which we can pray. It is something for which we can live and work in our closest relationships, in our marriages and our families, in our schools and our churches and our places of work, in our nation and among all the nations of the world. We are not able to bring or experience it fully. But in the times we do, in the moments, the episodes, the historic developments, it is a miracle, whether it occurs on 34th Street or the street on which we live. When we experience this peace that Christ brings, we are reminded, we are reminded once again that ours is a wonderful life. Amen.